0: Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together.
1: So let me start with Psalm 5 and verse 3. It says, in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. At daybreak, I lay my plea before you and wait in expectation. And so, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for Heartstrong, the whole family that is scattered all over this nation. And Lord, we thank you for uh, Kim this morning and the sharing that is on her heart. Lord, we take you at your word, and we thank you for the lessons of history. And God, we pray for Thomas. We pray for each one that the requests that are on our heart, we can cast them before you this morning. You will hear and you will answer prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Mrs. Kim Stecker, let's do this. Okay, I said yes, so here we go. All right, so <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kim Sehra. I get to go to the Kanada campus, an incredible privilege. And I have to say that I get to be part of the Life Kids program um, at Canada. Uh, at I also have been part of the Bible Boot Camp, which is basically heart-strong for kids on a Wednesday evening. So teaching kids is my my wheelhouse, okay? Um, I've been involved with Child Evangelism Fellowship for just over 20 years and teaching kids is what I love to do. Hands down, definitely my comfort zone. It's definitely the thing I love. So um, yeah, when Pastor Joyce and uh, Pastor Barry asked me to do this, I prayed about it, said yes, and then spent the next three months going, why did I say yes? Why did I say yes? But anyway, I'm really excited um, and it's been so rich, just uh, I don't often get to join with my camera on, but I get to uh, be part of this uh, occasionally and it's been really incredible and I have been blessed so many times and I was sharing with Melanie the morning she shared. It was just exactly what I needed to hear and I was so thankful to the Lord. So before we get started... I am going to just read a couple of scriptures here, if you don't mind. This is my prayer for us for this morning. It's Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And that's my prayer this morning as we go through a couple of chapters in the book of Numbers that we'll have hope. And then the scripture as well. Uh, this was our theme verse for our first Bible boot camp, our BBC One. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. God has breathed life into all scripture. It is useful for teaching us what is true. It's useful for correcting our mistakes. It's useful for making our lives whole again. And it's useful for training us to do what is right. So that is my prayer as we go into Deuteronomy, uh, into Numbers this morning, that we will have hope and that we will allow the Holy Spirit to train us and teach us and to correct us, to make our lives whole through his scripture this morning. I know it's Monday morning, so we can do a little bit of aerobics because we do this with the kids all the time, and it's really awesome. So we do something called pray positions before we pray, all right? It just really helps get everybody into that moment. So here we go. Pray positions. Let's pray. So Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. Father, I pray that as we dig into your word this morning, Father, that you will give us eyes to see, ears to hear and hearts that are open. Holy Spirit, have your way in and through us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. All right. So we have a memory verse this month, and I did resist the urge of trying to put actions to it. It's too long. So is there anybody that has recited Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2? You've already memorized it? They want to try and do it from memory? Or if you want to read it, somebody, can I get a volunteer? (laughs) I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewal of your mind, that the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's awesome. Amen. Amen. All right. So just as I begin, I just want to acknowledge a few resources because I have leaned very heavily on these and I really want to encourage some of you as well. Uh, First of all, BibleProject.com, they have some amazing YouTube videos and amazing on the book of numbers. They've got at least a couple. So BibleProject.com, excellent to go to. Bible.org, The Enduring Word, Nancy Guthrie's books. These are the books that we are using for Bible bootcamp. They are awesome. And the Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament and the Lamb of God. And then Robin, my personal uh, theologian that we really enjoy. He's our favorite. One of our favorites is Michael, uh, Michael Heiser, um, the Naked Bible Podcast and the SpokenWord.com. I just want to, first of all, give honor to where honor is due because they do an amazing job, much better than I can with this. And uh, they're really worth, those resources really are worth looking at. All right, so as we jump into the book of Numbers, so I don't know about you, but some of those chapters have been really challenging. Uh, Some of them have been great. And like I say, um, I was telling Pastor Joyce this yesterday, I get to follow Dean and Peter, who are both Bible scholars, okay? Like I say, I'm used to teaching kids. So we're going to do some overview. And I just want to say thank you to Dean and Peter as well. They did an amazing job. I was very, very blessed. Let's start, I know on Friday, we would have been reading Numbers 20. So I'm just going to do a quick overview of that before we jump into Numbers 21 and Numbers 22. I will give you a heads up. I'm going to concentrate a whole lot more on Numbers 21. Numbers 22, Rob's doing Numbers 23 and 4 tomorrow. And he's going to kind of, uh, well, you'll see when we get to this chapter 1. But here we go. So the review for Number 21. So the, at this point, beginning of chapter 20, the Israelites are camped at Kadesh on the southern border of the promised land. Miriam, that's Aaron's sister, has died. She's buried there. And at this point, the Israelites have been in the wilderness for almost 40 years. It's about 38 years at this point. So they attempt to get permission from the Edomites to cross the land, but they're denied. And the king of Edom actually says, if you come over my land, and he threatens a military action if they attempt to cross. So the whole community leaves Kadesh and they travel to Mount Hor and the Lord instructs Moses and Aaron that at this time, Aaron is about to, and I love how the Bible says this, Aaron is about to be gathered to his people. The Lord is saying Aaron is going to die. Now (laughs) it's a nice way of saying that, but remember there was a, he doesn't get to go into the promised land because of the rebellion against the Lord at the waters of Meribah. So Aaron doesn't enter the promised land and the Lord instructs Moses to ascend the mountain with Aaron and his son Eliezer and then in front of the entire community to remove the garments from Aaron, place them on Eliezer. So he's transferring an anointing there. Um, They do all that the Lord commands. Aaron dies on the mountain and Moses and Eliezer descend the mountain and the whole community goes into mourning for Aaron's death for 30 days. And this is where we're picking up today in chapter 21. So chapter 21 begins with a Canaanite king attacking the Israelites and taking some of them captive. Now, at this point, I really love this. The Israel finally kind of clues in and starts doing the right thing because they immediately start seeking the Lord, which is a bit of a change. And they make this vow with the Lord that if he will deliver the Canaanites into their hands, that they will utterly destroy them and their towns and their cities. And God grants them the victory, and the Israelites experience their first military victory in Canaan. And this actually takes place at a place called Horma. So there's a couple of things I just want to say. First of all, Horma. I don't know if you guys remember. I think it was Peter that spoke about this last week. That's uh, Numbers 14. I don't know if anyone remembers what happened there. This is where the Israelites, first of all, refused to enter the Promised Land by faith because they were in fear, and then they tried to go into the Promised Land by force, and they were totally defeated. The Lord had an enemy come and totally defeat them. But finally they actually get a victory. The Lord is with them and they get this first military victory in Canaan. The other thing I just want to mention is the Israelites make this vow that they will actually destroy the city. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. Why would the Lord allow them to destroy an entire city and nation and all the people in it? The point is this though, that the Israelites do that instead of plundering that land and taking the basically the prophets from it, they actually destroy it. And it's almost an offering unto the Lord that they aren't going to do that, okay? So um, so now at this point, of course, the Israelites are ready to keep moving forward. They've just had a victory, let's go. But instead, the Lord instructs them to go around Edom. Because remember, we've just we saw that in uh, chapter 20. They wanted to cross Edom and the king said no. So they have to go around Eden, but they have Edom, but they have to go by the Red Sea. And I know when I first read that, I also went, wait what? The Red Sea? We're going back. And let me tell you, be honest, this is not the most direct route into the promised land, okay? So they're discouraged. They're a little bit more than just discouraged. And uh, I'm just going to read the scripture, what happens next. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Okay. I'm going to be honest. If my kids spoke to me like that, there would be a consequence. Okay. But now, once again, these Israelites are doing this. First all, what an insult to God. I mean, God has freed them from slavery. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's led them. He's sustained them. And now they despise his very provision. Even though manna was God's gracious gift to sustain them in this desert, they totally despise it. The second thing I just want to note here, we see that this generation is kind of like their parents. It may be a new generation, but family habits are hard to break. Honestly, that's how the whole inner healing and deliverance ministry is started, right? They need divine intervention. Just a side note, by the way. So we have seen this before in Israel's story. God will save them, but it's going to be through judgment. And I'm just going to read the second part. It's Numbers 21, verse 6 and 9. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. Then the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake, and looked at the bronze snake they lived. Strange kind of remedy, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. For the rest of this chapter, the Israelites continue to travel in the wilderness, and they stop at, like my GPS would call it, points of interest along the way. And there's poetry read, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. And they start fighting various battles. And they defeat the Amorites, um, Shion, the king of the Amorites. And they take the property from Arnon to Jabbok. At the Battle of Adri, they defeat Og, the king of Bashan. They take possessions of the land. And then as chapter 22 begins, the children of Israel move and camp in the plains of Moab at the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. And then chapter 22 goes on to deal with Balak and Balaam. And I know Robert's going to cover a whole lot more about that tomorrow. So I'm not going to say a whole lot about that today because Actually, really, the one thing I really want to focus on is this numbers twenty one six to nine. I know it's not very many verses, but it's really powerful. One thing we are doing in Bible boot camp with the kids, folks, so heart strong for kids on a Wednesday night, is we are finding Jesus in the New Testament. And this story of the bronze serpent has just so beautifully spoke to me about how graciously the Lord has applied a remedy for us too. Now, I'm going to give a bit of a side note. The symbol of a snake on a pole is also the sim- symbol of modern medicine, just by the way. And I'm a nurse. Um, my speciality is trauma ICU. And I'm going to be honest, I kind of love that. I once had a pastor tell me that uh, medicine is God's grace to a fallen world. I kind of like that. Anyway, I am going to say this as well. I do sometimes find it difficult to know how far to go in applying a Old Testament type to a New Testament truth. But the really awesome thing about this is that I didn't have to worry about that all at all because Jesus actually applied it to himself. And he does it as a precursor to what is probably the most famous Bible verse of all time. He does it as a precursor to John 3.16. Now, listen, I have taught that as a memory verse to kids for years. And I had never put these two together like that because we tend to just quote John 3.16, right? So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he isn't offering an explanation of himself and all the rest of it. Jesus is actually offering himself to him. And I'm just going to read that scripture to you. get my Bible. And so I'm just going to read from verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, So the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Isn't that amazing? I had never, never, never put those two together, and it was just so powerful when I saw that. So we see that Jesus has actually compared himself to that. And I've never put the story in the context of John 3.16 before. Jesus is comparing his sacrifice on the cross, him lifted up and crucified to the bronze snake on a pole. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I ever would have done that. I'm really glad Jesus did it because I don't know if I was going to compare Jesus to a snake. But as the snake on the pole became a remedy for the poisonous bite, So Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection is the cure and remedy for our poisonous snake bite. Sin. In child evangelism fellowship, we often describe sin as this. Sin is anything we think, we say, or we do that breaks God's laws or commands. I mean, it's pretty basic, right? So we're going to look at just six points in the story of this Old Testament type that represents a New Testament truth. And uh, God so graciously supplied the remedy for our death. So the first thing, God's remedy was supernatural, but bizarre. So the one thing I want us to note is God doesn't remove the snakes. Instead, he provides a cure for their bites. And the remedy is honestly just strange. I mean, in the Ten Commandments, God has said that they should not make any graven images, right? I mean, Aaron had already disobeyed. He made the golden calf. But now Moses is instructed to make a serpent and place it on the pole. Now, first of all, snakes would be familiar to the Israelites, right? I mean, first of all, they're in the desert and they're snakes. But also, they would have known and been aware of the story in Genesis of even the snake, the snake deceiving them. Uh, The snake was also a symbol for Pharaoh in, in Egypt, right? The cobra and the head of a vulture were often on the heads for protection of these pharaohs. So this symbol would have not been a strange one to them. But making a snake to put it on a pole as a cure, that would be bizarre. Now, I'm not going to get into all the symbolism of this, but I just want to note that, honestly, it's strange. Um, But to note, this wasn't Moses' idea. It came directly from God. It was supernatural. And often when skeptics look at the miraculous, they find it crazy. And I'm sure some of those Israelites must have thought that this was pretty crazy too. Now, the serpent on the pole in and of itself had no power. The cure was supernatural, and it was their obedience to God that was the key. Uh, there's lots of times the Lord uses weird and wonderful things in Scripture. I still thought about the speckled sheep in the Old Testament, dipping yourself in the Jordan seven times, uh, spitting on sand, making mud, putting on your eyes. None of these things in and of, of themselves have power, okay, guys? I mean, I know sometimes we do this. We... We start idolizing these things in some ways, unfortunately. But the the power is not in the snake on on the pole. The power is in their obedience. Moses makes this as a remedy, and it's their obedience to look that heals them. So here, instead of deadly snakes, God provides a substitute snake, but one without poison. He took what was deadly and turned it into a source of life for all who would trust him and would trust this cure. So 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The cross is God's supernatural cure for sin. The second thing I wanted to point out was the remedy was singular. Looking at the serpent was the only cure. There was no other remedy. If you didn't like it or you didn't believe this one tough, this was it. And in the same way, apart from the cross, there's no human cure for us. Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected is the only way. John 14 verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. The third thing is that God's remedy was sufficient. There was nothing to add to it. Moses didn't say Look at the snake and rub special oil on it and you'll be cured or bring offerings to the pole. I grew up in the charismatic movement. I'm just going to say this. So when I read some of the stuff, I think, oh, God, how often have we done this? Anyway, so just I'm pointing at a very institute I grew up in. I'm just saying, okay. Um, he didn't say bring offerings to the pole and offer them to the snake and you'll be cured. You only had to look at the bronze snake on the pole and the Lord would heal you. And in the same way, the cross of Christ is sufficient for the salvation of the worst of sinners. You can't add anything to it. No penance to pay, no special church to join, no special pastor to have pray for you, and no money to give, no good works. Jesus paid it all. Look to Christ in faith and he will save you. The fourth thing was God's remedy was sweeping. Numbers 21, verse 8, God said everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. They weren't any cases that were too hard. There were no exceptions. Whoever would live. John 3:16 promises: whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Romans 10:13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Everybody, no one is excluded. Number five, God's remedy was sure. Numbers 21, verse eight, when he looks at it, he will live. The remedy never failed. It cured every person who believed God enough to look, and they were healed instantly. God's promise is that if you believe in Jesus Christ as the one who bore your sins on the cross, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. John 3, 37, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. You can count on his word. It's true. And the sixth one, God's remedy was simple. As mentioned above, the cure was sufficient. And so nothing else was needed. And the sufficiency made it simple. You didn't need to crawl on your hands and knees over broken glass to look. You didn't need to learn a difficult mantra and repeat it perfectly. You didn't need a snake replica in your house. You didn't need to take a class where you learned seven steps to fight snakes, etc. That one made me laugh, but it's true sometimes. You just needed to realize that you couldn't cure yourself. All you needed to do was believe in Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the strange but effective remedy that God provided to cure and basically the snake bite of our lives. We just need to look and we will live. And I just want to read story of Charles Spurgeon. And I don't know how many of you know who Charles Spurgeon was, but he's probably considered maybe one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. And this is his story. When he was 15, he was under deep conviction because of his sin. Although the father and grandfather were both preachers and Spurgeon had read many of the solid Puritan books, he didn't understand the gospel. He thought that he needed to do many more things to be saved. Then one snowy day, he wandered into a small Methodist chapel. The regular preacher wasn't there because of the snow. And a layman preacher was preaching and he preached on Isaiah 45, verse 22, which reads, and of course, back then, it's the King James Version. Look unto me and be he saved all the ends of the earth. He made the point that looking doesn't take any effort or any special status. Anyone can look. Finally, he looked directly at young Spurgeon and exhorted, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And Spurgeon said in his autobiography, like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. He looked to Jesus and God saved him. Now, I have to be honest, um, I love this because, like I say, I've worked with Child Evangelism Fellowship, and it's a lot of what I do, and I just want to encourage, I know a lot of people here are on, and probably all of you are saved, but I have been in a church service where someone got saved, they had been in the church for over 23 years, and then they got saved, so I'm just going to put this invitation out there, if there's anybody here, and you have never made a decision for Christ. Just please, will you talk to Pastor Joyce and Pastor Barry, we would love to pray for you and lead you to Jesus. Because honestly, that's where the journey starts. And I just want to make one final note, because this is really interesting. So they have this bronze serpent it's healed them. Well, their obedience to Christ, looking at it, has healed them. But 700 years later, King Hezekiah, in Second Kings chapter 18, verse 1 to 4, he has to destroy this bronze serpent because it had become an object of idolatry to the Israelites. He actually has to destroy it. The Israelites had named it. They were bringing incense to it. And so the very thing that the Lord had used as a, as a, um, as a way to have their obedience demonstrated and to heal they are now using as idolatry. And you know what, just before we look at them and go, how could they do that? Oh, I think about us so much and how often we've done the very same thing. So, you know, that whole mantra, you know, one finger, you, as you pointed someone else, these three fingers pointing back. I mean, it's one of those areas to just have deep perfection, Holy spirit. What have I done in my life where I've made things idols in my life that were never intended to be. So That's kind of what I wanted to share today, guys. I just absolutely loved it. Like I say, I know chapter 22 deals with Balaam and the donkey and everything else, but Rob's going to cover that tomorrow. So I really wanted to talk about this bronze serpent. I just really loved how Jesus became the fulfillment of that. I just think it's absolutely amazing. So that's my spiel. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to visit Heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of merch like hoodies and t-shirts and mugs to remind you of this journey of discipleship that you're on. You can log in to Heartstrong.life forward slash login to access your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.